We're live. Justin Spaulding show, episode six. Episode six. This is the sixth six. week. Yeah. Six consecutive weeks. Consistency. We got two people in the room today. Audine is here learning, is here learning how to get the system rock and rolling because Ryder's doing other things now. I guess he's too cool to you still gotta come back and do this though. Like pop in. We have conversation. Well, I mean you're kinda always featured. I don't want to break the camera and get Thank you guys so much for joining us. How many people we got live? I always start this thing so different than most podcasts. Just kind of roll right into it and just. Okay. Ava's watching or listening from her office. She better be working too. I said every day. Every day we do a podcast. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, if you guys do not know who I am, Justin Spaulding. Um, we have 700 apartments in South Central Wisconsin. I decided to start a painting company, so we do some of that. We do a lot of investing. Had some success over the last 10 years. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. I'm posting uh, and always teaching people how to. I'm actually not even teaching. I'm just doing what I do, and then uh, there's always lessons in that. And there's good lessons, there's bad lessons that we grew up on um, that we do well, and um, we've been able to help other people buy duplexes, four units. We've been able to help them flip houses. We've been able to help them start businesses. We've been able to help them invest. We've been able to help uh, people buy a 38 unit, a 42 unit. So it's pretty cool what uh, some of our content's been able to do. I wrote a book, which the link, if you're watching this, you can see what the link is. Uh, check out my book at justinspalding.com. My name is spelled S-P-A-U-L-D. That's a whole story in itself, why the U is in there. Um, but today we have no guest. It was awesome that last time with a guest. Yeah. Fun having a no. I don't know if you guys got a chance yet to see uh, episode five. That was episode five, right? Uh, go check that out. We had a pretty good discussion about the top ten. Was it Ryder? The top ten things an eighteen-year-old should know about money. But really, I changed it to say you know the top ten things basically anybody should know about money. Um, and it got pretty, it got interesting, like yeah. just, you know, Minogue had ideas and I had ideas and, you know, we all see, it's crazy how people see the world differently when it comes to money. Um, I always think I'm right when it comes because like, if you're talking money, you want to do it right. You want to do it to the best of your ability. Um, and I think that my rules allow you to do the money game to the best of your ability. You know, it's not necessarily advice Elon Musk needs to take or Warren Buffett and I'm willing to bet some of the most successful people though in this world that are on the top 10 of the Forbes list would probably agree with the, the 10 things that I put out there big time. Um, so yeah, check that podcast out. That was my favorite one so far. I really enjoyed it. So that, and I, that's kudos to Ryder for, I know I give Ryder a lot of crap, but that's kudos to Ryder for getting Minogue in here. Uh, in here and having that conversation. Um, anyways, Anything else we should cover? The Packers lost. So let's just get that out of the way. Packers lost on Sunday. It broke my heart. I mean, I was watching. There was tents in my house. I had one of my best friends over to watch the game. He and his wife watched it with me and my wife. And I was like, I was like on my knees, bent over a chair with my elbows, like on my face, like covering my eyes. Like I couldn't even. And I love Tom Brady, except for, you know, whenever he plays the Packers. I hated him that day. And I was just so upset there's a lot of screaming there's a lot of yelling uh, i felt better i felt better later that night though kind of bad but 
first couple hours after the loss. Just wanted to see him back in the Super Bowl. So let's just get that uh, monkey off the back and get that out of the, out of the can here and uh, move forward. Let's go into the first question of today. And for those of you watching, if you wonder why I read the questions, we see them. It's because I know a lot of people listen to this while they're driving. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts now. So you can go check us out there and subscribe um, and be able to listen. Um, and obviously, we're coming at you live every week on YouTube. First question, read it out loud. Advice when I'm calling off-market multifamily. Uh, this is a good question. I think... Just to be able to relate to more people out there, it could be a business that you're trying to buy. It could be real estate. It could be uh, any type of asset you're trying to buy. And really, it's just parts of parts of what I'm about to say will help in just cold calling in general. Um, but when I'm specifically kind of when I'm calling on a property, a property owner, and, I, and we have our database and stuff like that, and I have their information, we store it all. I make sure I keep it. I don't ever want to lose people's number. So that's a big thing too. Is here's advice when you're calling. Like once you have contact information. Uh, whether it's investors or you know property owners, whatever it might be, make sure you have a database in Excel that has the name, the number, their email, their phone, uh, um, all the contact information, so that it stays there and it's a place that you compile it. Because you don't want to just this is where you can go wrong is if you're just going to get this person's number and uh, call one time, and expect that you're going to get a hold of them. It's just not going to work that way, right? You got to be able to call those people four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times uh, over the course of whether it's one month, three months, six months, 12 months, eight months, six years, 12 years um, to get their business or to get, in this case, a property. So you wanna make sure that you can keep the phone number. Don't just put it on a piece of paper where you're gonna lose it, call them one time, maybe call them two times or three times within 10 days and then say, oh, I give up. You need to get the database, the Rolodex, and you need to keep that thing, it's valuable. And um, you need to go through and you make the call. And so when you call, it's as simple as, you know, now, now once you dial the digits, you're gonna either get the voicemail or you're going to get uh, which happens a lot these days or you're going to get them to answer um if they answer um i basically say it's going to take me a minute to, i think here of what of what i actually say and actually i should probably just pick up call somebody and like do it but uh um i typically just say hey you know i'm justin spall i'm justin spalding sometimes i don't even say my last name hey i'm justin i own 700 apartments in south central southeastern wisconsin we're still looking to acquire more are you looking to sell x and x property between now and the next five years because and then i just shut up after i say that because i just want i just want to keep the odds are they don't want to sell it to me today right now any, now people can call me and anything is for sale that we have in our portfolio always forever um because I'm just opportunistic and I'm opportunity based. But a lot of people would be like, no, not looking to sell. Like, so you wanna make sure that you give that window because now they're gonna be like, oh, in the next, between now and the next like 10 years, seven years, yeah, like we, we're probably gonna be looking to sell, right? So you wanna get like a yes. You wanna kinda just be able to move that, move that forward um, and to be able to start having that conversation. That's really the biggest thing is to be able to ask that question. And when you say, when you get it, you, you still might get a no. And so if you, so now once again, we kind of go down this path of if you get a no, you say, hey, okay, no problem. You know, we'd just love to be able to stay in touch with you as we go forward. We're always buying properties. We're able to save, you know, people from having to pay a broker's fee, et cetera, et cetera. We've been able to close a lot of deals that way. I'll probably give you a call another six months, 12 months, if that's okay, keep you on my list and, and we'll talk soon. So, but it kind of builds that uh, they know who you are and you know, all that stuff. You'll call 
I, I typically will call sooner than six months, six months. I'll typically call like in three months and just kind of a follow up with them um, and just kind of stay in touch. Uh, but now if they say yes, somewhere in between, <laughs> somewhere, if they say yes, somewhere in between, um, my phone with my Instagram live right now is struggling to slide. If they say yes, that they're interested in selling in the next, it could be, uh, whether you said, you know, now to the next 10 years, they say yes. That's where you just want to go, you know, you want them to get uh, talking a little bit more and just say, okay, what do you think, what do you think your timeline is? You know, and, and then they're going to tell you. And, you just, and then from that point, it's just nothing structured ever with me. It's just a, you have to have a, a conversation with people, right? And um, that's, that's what's always worked. But the biggest thing is odds are they're going to, you're going to get the voicemail and you leave a, a voicemail. So the voicemail that I always leave is, hey, I'm Justin. Uh, I'm the owner of Spalding Group. We own and operate 700 apartments in South Central, Southeastern Wisconsin. And uh, just wanted to see if over the next three months to seven years, if you're going to be look at, looking at moving on from your property. That's another thing. I usually use the word moving on because sometimes for some reason people just don't want to let go of stuff. And so they don't even like the word sell. So I've always got better results when I use the word move on. Um, and then you hope for the callback, right? Now, 1% of them are going to call you back within a week. Uh, so you're going to have to just call that person again. Now, if they don't answer, that's where I'll put them on. Like, I'll call them, you know, once a week until I try to, you know, some type of answer. Um, and then you just kind of keep doing that. Now, when I'm calling once a week, I do that maybe for like four weeks, but then I'll start to go, I'll spread it out a little bit more. So I'm not just absolutely pestering them too much, but um, just want to be able to stay in touch. So, so that's, uh, does that kind of help Ryder? That's, and that's Ryder, that needs to be your, oh, yeah. you know, when you're selling paint jobs and all that stuff like that's, and, and same thing as you look at more properties, like you might start calling maybe that neighborhood that you're already looking at and then you might call someone neighbors or you're not, whatever, right? But, um, you have to realize the biggest key part out of this is you've got to realize that here's a, here's a story. And now the, the lead has gone cold again here, but there's a deal that I've been chasing for since, basically since 2012. I've been, it's a big property. I've been calling them and calling them and calling them and calling them since 2012. So that's like nine years ago. I mean, I must have called them probably over a hundred times, I bet. But I've kept them on a database, whatever. Two and a half. Well, you won't know because we drove by the property where you came. Uh, and um, he finally reached back out to me and we were in contact. You know, then I met the owner there at the property and he was going to give me financials. And so now it's, you know, cold again. So now I'm just back in the following up phase. I'm calling. Um, I'm, uh, you know, probably not going to get a restraining order. Like, believe it or not, people don't give you a restraining order if you're just like having conversations with people, right? And you're just, you're not like, you're not saying the wrong things. You're just having conversations, right? Um, so you won't put a restraining order, but I just keep, I keep calling. I keep emailing, just touching up. Hey, hey, just want, hey, hey, John, just want to see when you're planning on shooting over those finances for me. Just want to follow up, right? Yeah. Yep. And then, um, yeah, so Ryder, Ryder's doing, that's why we have Maudine here doing some of our content stuff going forward. Uh, and Ryder's doing some of the sales rep stuff for prime painters. And he's experiencing this. He gets it. So like, there's so much money to be made in the follow-up, but you gotta be willing to be able to be consistent enough and do the follow-up work. And so many people don't want to do it. Or so many people are scared of like harassing people. It's not harassment. Like it's not, you just gotta be persistent and it's you got to have the will 
to put in the time, the effort, and have the patience. Like, I'm still going to keep calling this guy that I've been calling for nine years until I get the financials of the property. And until I get an opportunity. See, but now here's the cool thing, right? You do this one time with one guy. He's got other properties probably. So now what's going to happen if you have that much follow-up over nine or ten years? You buy one deal from him. They might, he might bring you another deal off market. I got, a, I got a guy we bought a deal from in the past, and he just brought me another deal that's you know, 200, 200 units, and it's off market. But I've closed with him before. He trusts me that I can close. He knows that we can close, right, because we have closed. Um, and he's been able to see, like, what our portfolio is doing. So he knows that I'm legit now. And so he comes to me first. Now, I, so that effort is worth it. All right, next question. What do I think about current governments? Dude, the whole, I don't have any money in the stock game. People are like, did you hit this GameStop thing up? And I'm like, no, because I'm not, it's not what I do. I don't ride a wave of whatever. I'm not making fun of people that did, but everyone is, gets distracted and goes off on these trails all the time. And I'm like, I'm just going to do what I know. And I'm going to keep doing it really well. I hope, I hope this GameStop thing keeps accelerating for other people again to just drive more people away who might have been getting into real estate uh, into GameStop and you know, Robinhood and all that stuff. But that was just a kind of a side rant. What do I think about current governments is the question. And I, I just think that what happened in the stock market this week is just so interrelatable with the, the election um, and, uh, in, in November. And it's, man, it's a rigged... It's a rigged system. It's crazy to me. The government, it's rigged. It's rigged. The people closest to the top, closest to the person controlling the puppet strings, have the power, um, getting paid a lot. They're able to brush things under the rug. They're able to hide things. They're able to spread and get, you know, they have the media on board and spreading lies. And it's just a bunch of BS. And now the same people at the very top of the game on Wall Street and with this whole thing, regular individuals get rolled over on Wall Street every single day. Nobody cares. All of a sudden, you have a hedge fund that gets rolled over by individuals. And now we got to shut this shit down, stop the losses. That's not a free market. And that's insane that that happened. It should not, that should not happen. You shouldn't, if you can't... If you're going to short a stock, you better be ready for the stock to go up potentially. Now I get it. It's like, it's, it's against the fundamentals because the stock, you know, that, that company is doing poorly and whatever, but the market's the market. People could have loved the brand. They wanted to save the company. They drive the price up. And so it's just crazy to me, the government and that whole, uh, the elitist type, uh, people and you know, all that stuff. It's just a whole nother world that that system is rigged. And they're pulling so many uh, strings is what it is. Um, There's not much I can do about it. I mean, whatever. I'm going to keep doing what I do. Um, Not going to let that completely take me off my path. That's, I don't know, you know, what all that question wanted from me as far as what do I think about current. But um, I think, you know, here's what I know. uh, I, I, here's what I know that I, what I think in my opinion, um, you should not be able to be a lifetime politician and then be worth and not and then be a decamillionaire because of politics or a centimillionaire. You should not be able to be in office for 50 years and never have produced anything prior to that, but then all of a sudden become worth $12 million because you're a politician. 
all of a sudden become worth a hundred million dollars because you're a politician. Um, that should not be okay. I think another thing that should not be okay is people being able to, and this is both sides, people being able in uh, office for 40 years, Joe, you got to go. You can't be president. You got to, you've been around for 50 years. You should not be president. You should not be a lifetime politician and be worth 13 million, 20 million, $30 million off the taxpayer's dime. There's no way that should not happen. Nancy Pelosi, you got to go. Like you got to get out. Mitch McConnell, you got to go. You got to get out. I'll be fair because Republican and Democrat, you got to go. You got to get out, homie. Like it's just insane to me that you can be in office for so long and that be your career. And then you're getting, I don't know the exact numbers, but you're getting $124,000 or $170,000 a year, whatever. And then I, I'm pretty sure you get that for life after if you're a senator. I mean, that's just, it's, it's ridiculous. That is not, that is not what, uh, that is not what it should be about. And that's not, that's not how it should be. Period. Some of those people have been around in office for 30 years, 25 years, 45 years. Get out. Is the waterfall distribution kept on Excel or proprietary software? Well, so it's always been an Excel for us. We do have a software that we use now uh, that's a um, management type software where all of our investors are on there, our properties are on there, and it has the waterfalls. Uh, but some of the deals that we do are actually too complex for that, so we're still having to put it into Excel. Um, it's easy enough. So Excel is where, where we keep a lot of the stuff, some of the stuff, you know, and all of it now is in this software as well. But once again, it's just not complex enough, so we keep it in Excel. I think um, we're able to put them in Excel, and then we kind of just we, we uh, take that Excel file and we are able to upload it directly into the software for cutting distributions and all that stuff. Um, but that's been our experience. With that. I think it's just because of how our splits work, uh, and we have an entity that never puts any money in. Uh, which is essentially our general general partner that actual that actual entity never puts money in but it has interest um it has profits interest and i think that's always been tough but that has been tough software that we're working with uh, to make work and then also there there are certain deals where for writing for getting larger checks from people they get a little bit higher of a preferred return because it's easier for me to go collect one three million dollar check as opposed to collecting uh how many 50 million how many fifty thousand dollar checks are in and uh, that's probably at 10, 20, 60. So, yeah, so, so collecting one $3 million check for me is way easier than going to collect 60, $50,000 checks. Um, so, so there's some deals that will give a higher uh, preferred return. And so then that, that also in combination with our general partnership that doesn't have any equity going in and actually any ownership in the property, that's caused some issues with the management. So we're just still in Excel. Um, we're kind of using both right now. Once you go under contract on a property, do you right away create an LLC for the property? So this last deal that we closed, uh, we went under contract three or four months ago, and the, those LLCs were not created until the end of December. Uh, so no, you don't have to create it right away by any means. On a, you want to obviously get those things created, um, but there's so many people that worry about 
the LLC that are just like not even close to like that should be the last when it comes to actually acquiring the property that should just be the last thing like you should be working with an attorney somewhat I don't know Ryder I'll probably let you talk a little bit because Ryder you're going through some now I know you're buying it a little bit differently but um but some people get so I can just tell you right now the, the person I asked this question which is I'm not making fun of you I'm not ridiculing you at all it's just you've probably never bought a property before you probably never actually really started a business yet is my guess and you get worried about all these things that really are so small and should be the last thing on your mind with the stage you're at. So my advice is go find deals, go put in work, go start something, and then worry about that LLC like right after that. Like after you get on a contract, like yes, then start asking that question. You don't you don't need to do that right away. Like if you get something under contract, don't think you have to have an LLC created within a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. Like somewhere in there, yes, before closing, you'll have to. Um, now, here's the other thing. What I do when I write offers, I have an LLC that's on the offer. And I'll, so I'll put, you know, this is going to be purchased by 1234 LLC or assigns. So what that means is I, because all of our properties that we buy, they each go into their own LLC. So we have, we have a lot of different LLCs. But when I, 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 because I don't know the name of that LLC yet, I want to make sure that I, I have the ability per the contract to assign that contract before closing to a new LLC, a new entity that we're going to make somewhere between getting in our contract and uh, before closing. So, so Ryder, so just to give some leeway, Ryder, Ryder. Yeah, what do you mean? I don't know, just just high level. Right, right. So so Ryder has so Ryder left high school, said I'm not going to going to college. Came and begged me for a job. He was just like sitting on my doorstep, like begging me for a job, like I want to learn from you and you know whatever. And I'm like okay, dude, like you're kind of weird, but get off my doorstep now. And so we we ended up coming to agreement. He didn't really do that. I made that up, but uh, and he you know he came here to work and um and he's been able to learn a lot through this because he's around me all the time doing content and like just you know whatever so he's soaking it up and the coolest thing is to see him learn really quick but then go implement stuff really quick too that he wants to do so he can kind of share his experience on what it's been like so touching on the llc thing that was one thing i was worried about is like being liable for if something were to go wrong um but if i were to buy the two townhomes under an llc i'd have to do a commercial loan with 25 percent down and higher interest rates but you don't want to do that if it's a smaller four unit. If well, four units and under, you can get a residential. Right, but I bought a four unit in 2013, and I put it in LLC. I bought another four unit, and I put it in LLC. Right, but you had a higher. So, so, rate. so. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and. It's well, probably. Fixed. I don't know. It's not a thirty-year fix. Is no. Twenty-five. Um. Well, well, no, it's not even twenty-five. I mean, it's like when when I do my deals, it's like a five-year term, okay. and then we're refinancing, or seven, ten years. Sometimes we get ten years. Okay. Um, anyways, so I, I, I was worried about putting it under an LLC, um, and the broker who's selling it to me, I basically right. found out, <laughs> I basically found out that, uh, I need hey. to deed it, o- deed it over to an LLC, um, within five oh, okay. months or so. Once illegal, it? they're already in, um, just take over Justin's oh, podcast, uh, maybe. That's crazy. But yeah, uh, I can deed it over after around five months. Uh, once all the legals are in, wow. that's what I was recommended because me, um, if I were to buy it under an LLC, it would be labeled a commercial so, contract, um, and I was able to get a fifteen percent down rather than twenty-five. 
so I just had to step out and take that call. So um, I, I kind of missed what you said, Ryder. But so here's my advice, though, is you can't either way. For me, I looked at it. I'm like, I'm buying a four unit. But like the four unit is just a stepping stone. I don't care about all this other BS about saving money and you know whatever. I wanted to do it. And this is just how I got my I wanted to do it correctly the business way because I'm like, when I have 400 units, it's irrelevant. I'm not going to go personally buy. You can't. It's a commercial, you're gonna get a commercial loan, right? Now, what I tell people all the time though is, is, and I missed, I had to step out because of that phone call I had to take, uh, but what I missed what Ryder said, if that's how you get your foot in the door because of financing and you know whatever, and, and that's the situation you're in for the first two years, three years, four years, for sure go do it the way Ryder just said because getting started is the biggest, that's the biggest thing. So like however, like however you get your foot in the door, it doesn't really matter, just get your foot in the door and get started. And that's kind of the advice I gave Ryder before. I'm like, here's what, here's what I did. Here's what I would do, but like, you got to get your foot in the door. So if it's if it's getting the you know five or ten or fifteen percent down or whatever because it's a personal loan, fine, so be it. Get your foot in the door. My advice to Ryder on this first deal he's doing is, and and this is just my advice. I have no no idea what he wants to do or is gonna do or whatever. And my advice could be wrong, right? Like you don't have to always assume I'm right. I think I'm right, but I'm not. I might be wrong. My advice to Ryder would be: How fast could can you get in and out of this this project to to move on to the next project? So, meaning, like, if there's things that you can do to fix it up, get the rents up, get the NOI up, lower expenses, get the NOI up, the net operating income, get that up, and and maybe be able to sell this thing, you know, for ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent more than you bought it for in a year. And then be able to rinse and repeat. Take take those earnings. Go do a bigger deal. Um, uh, now, certain scenarios that might not work because of where you're buying or what you're buying. It might not be appreciate as much. You might only be able to force so much. Um, but that'd be my. That's always my advice on like I'm. I'm going to be selling most likely be selling some of our smaller assets this year. Um, well, number one, just because they're smaller, we're looking to get bigger deals that it, you know I'm not going I'm not as interested in going to buy a 10 unit now as I was two years ago four years ago five years ago I'd rather oh, I'd rather go buy a 500 unit tomorrow than a 10 unit um, but so number one I'm looking at selling the smaller ones but also I'm looking at selling those smaller ones not just because they're smaller but also because we've had them for two years or three years and we've added a ton of value there and some of them have doubled in value since we've been there and I want to be able to unlock those earnings uh, uh, I want to be able to unlock the equity that I have tied up that we added and forced to be able to go do once again bigger deals right so my four unit turned into another four unit so there was eight units total there when I sold those eight units part of it went into the ten a ten unit part of uh, the earnings went in uh, part of the profits went into a 47 unit and now if we were to go sell the 10 unit the 47 unit um, the plan is, you know, if, if that happens this year or, you know, early next year, whatever, you know, we probably have enough profits there to be able to go and scale up and buy. Uh, I'm just doing some math in my head quick. Probably be able to buy about a hundred units. Now that's crazy to think about, right? But the only reason I was able to do that is because I'm not, I'm not someone that like, once we've got in and done our thing, I'm ready to get out to unlock that equity to go put it to work. Right and go do the same thing. So we bought the four unit, the first two four units, at the at the ground level, meaning just they were horribly ran. Right, 
they were already cash flowing, but we added value, so there was more cash flow there. There's more cash flow, there's a buyer that's willing to pay more than what you bought the property for because they're buying the increased cash flow. And then we went rinse and repeat, only it wasn't four units, it was a 10 unit and a 47 unit, it was the same thing, right? And so then we're gonna do the same thing again when that turns into 100 units. Now I could have just said, I could have been like most people out there, be like, I'm gonna hold on to this for my forever. I'm not gonna let it go, I'm just gonna sit on it and forever, and it's gonna be a cash cow. And like, great, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But in my mind, I'm like, I wanna keep scaling, I wanna keep growing, because like, you know, at being at eight units, it was like 2,000, or I can't remember, $4,000 a month cash flow, something like that. It's not drastically, drastically life-changing. Yes, it is, but it's at the same time, it's not compared to what that equity could be doing for me and my family in another property, right? Um, what about so, refinancing in a year and a half? So, yeah, so the refinancing thing, are questions working today? We just don't have anyone watching no, no, live. There's four viewers, but okay. there's no, uh, Refinancing, we'll do that just if we're going to do like more updates to the property, we want to pull some cash out. But if we refinance, I'm not untapping all the equity. So like we had a deal, we refinanced at the end of 2019 and we bought it for $6 million. The new value was like nine million, but we didn't take, I still took debt out on it like it was basically 6.5 million. I didn't leverage all the way up. I'm not, I, the value that we add is real, but sometimes we do it so quickly that if other macro things in the environment change and go backwards, that, that value, it would still be there in the long term, but short term it could go away. So if in the short term it could go away, I don't wanna leverage all the way back up to that new $10 million that we just, you know, because we went from 6 million to 10 million, you know, zero to 100 real quick. We went from 6 million to 10 million real quick. I'm not, I'm not looking to um, leverage to the hilt and um, potentially get in trouble there. I would rather sell it to get all the equity, because even at refinance, I'm still even 20% in. Right. And now that 20% in is working, but I can't take, I won't take that asset from, 10 million to 14 million as fast as it went from 6 million to 10 million. I took it from 6 million, to, we took it from 6 million to 10 million in three years, but for it to go to 10 million to 14 million, that's gonna be, that could be 10 years, that could be 20 years, that could be, so I wanna unlock all that equity, I wanna go put it in a bigger asset that I can potentially do the same thing in three to four years, but now instead of being a $6 million starting point taken up to $10 million starting point, it might be a $20 million starting point with the ability to take it up to, yeah, with the ability to take it up to a $32 million. Right. Right? Yeah. I can't do that if I'm just sitting on something forever. Now, once again, though, you do, if you get in the wrong deal, there's more risk there as well, but we're trying to find the deals that when we're scaling up and getting these new deals, there's there's still cash flowing plenty from day one and we still have plenty of room to go up. So we have a buffer just in case like we get into a deal and things were to go down, okay, well maybe we have to pause distributions for a little while, oh well, right? If we have to pause, if we can make it through with the cash flow and just have to pause distribution, still take care of the property, um, you know, do our thing there and make it through a one year, two year, three year, four year crappy time, so be it. That was, that was a lot of side stuff right there that just happened with that all started with the question being, once you go under contract on a property, do you right away create an LLC for that property? Next question. Maudine's in here probably looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> question is, so how do, you, uh, how do you stay motivated day in and day out? Because I'm just passionate about what we do. Like it's exciting showing up 
here. I love what I do, right? So like you could almost, I mean, I'm not gonna say I do it for free because like I don't think I would do it to the extent that I do or put in as much time or effort knowing that there's absolutely zero reward. But a lot of the reward for me is like seeing the improvements we're making, um, um, seeing just seeing the financials go in because it's like my new scoreboard almost. And at the end of the football game, you want to see the scoreboard in the right in your favor. It's the same thing what I'm doing here. I, I I like to see the scoreboard, which is the income statement, the balance sheet, go into my favor, our investors' favor. And I like seeing that almost and, and get almost more gratitude. I must get more uh, joy out of seeing that than I do the actual check that comes in. Uh, the check that comes in is really nice, but that's what keeps me motivated is just that whole process. Um, if things, you know, how do I stay motivated? I'm always challenging myself, right? So we buy, you go from buying a $200,000 deal to another $200,000 deal to a $1 million deal to a $6 million deal to uh, $18 million deal to the deal we just closed for more than, you know, north of, you know, about $35 million. Uh, and, and so for me, that's how I stay motivated too. I'm pushing myself. I'm not staying in my bubble, right? I'm always talking about what you have to do to stay motivated day in, day out and excited is, I talk about this all the time, is you just pretend you are standing inside a regular size hula hoop. And that hula hoop, when you look down, you're standing right in the center of it. So I don't know, the hula hoop maybe goes a foot and a half uh, out away from your feet in any given direction all the way around you 360 uh, 360 all the way around you now imagine that hula hoop is your comfort zone right well that would not be very fun if you just had to sit there in that hula hoop all day so i'm thinking about okay i want to expand my hula hoop so i'm telling people broad jump take a big jump as far as you can out of that hula hoop because what's going to happen is that hula hoop then you're going to force that hula hoop to grow and where you jump to even though it might be t- 12 feet outside the center of the hula hoop and you're gonna feel uncomfortable until that hula hoop grows and catches you. But eventually, that 12 foot jump out of the hula hoop, where you're standing, will be the new center of the hula hoop. And that new, that new hula hoop is gonna be 35 times as big. I don't know what it's gonna exponentially. It's gonna grow in area, and um, that's your new comfort zone, right? And so my, I st- I get excited by being outside of that comfort zone. And so then what? Once that, once that uh, hula hoop. Riders gonna be like, what the hell are you talking about hula hoops? The rider just had to go get some water and he walked back in. What are you talking about hula hoops for? As soon as that hula hoop grows back out, like you're again now, but now you got to jump a long ways. Like you can't just jump 12 feet anymore because now the hula hoop all the way around your feet in any given direction might be might be 40 feet. I don't know. Might be nah, it's not gonna be that much. It's probably like 14 feet, right? So now you got to jump. You got to jump from the center of that hula hoop. Otherwise, you're gonna get bored and you're not gonna be motivated. At least for me. I'm not gonna be motivated if I'm not challenged. The moment that I'm not challenged, I get bored, I get lethargic, I like I start thinking I just wanna to go to the casino today, like in college, and like put it on black or something. Like <laughs> haven't been to the casino in forever, but like your mind starts to drift. So you gotta like you gotta challenge. I start thinking, man, I wanna buy an Xbox. Like <laughs> so you 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 just wanna like which there's nothing wrong with that because Ryder makes money playing video games, by the way. I don't like consoles. Yeah, but yeah, that's right, you play computer games. So if you're not motivated, you're gonna run into issues and your life's gonna come off track. That's my opinion, honest opinion. And so that's how I stay motivated though, is by challenging myself. Um, and it's not just business. I would say business is a, a big part of it because it's like what you, you know, your job is what you do 35%, 45% of your life, right? So it's important and it's a big one. Um, yeah, we got someone on on Instagram just saying, hey, 
Yeah, they're liking the hula hoop analogy on Instagram. Mm. All right. You ready? Yeah, Ryder, you have to go back and listen to the hula hoop analogy. The next question is, where are you spending most of your time and focus in 2021, the first quarter? Where are you spending most of your time and focus in Q1 of 2021, first quarter of 2021? Um, most of my focus so far, I mean, you know, I mean, we're a third of the way through quarter one already. Um, most of my focus so far has been spent on the new deal that we just closed on. Um, we closed on it. So now it's hiring the staff. We've got a regional manager starting for us on the 15th of February. We have staff that we're trying to hire and land at the new properties that we got going on. Um, really, you know, taking a step back as well. And in Prime Painters, trying to get things a little bit more organized there with inventory systems and like our systems in general so that we run better, can do a better job for our customers. Um, and so that we can be ready because Prime Painters, our company there, will be swamped come April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and the first half of November. It's going to be slammed. And so I'm trying to get to the position and position the company so that we can take on as much work as possible. Because last year we got to the point where we didn't have the production capacity to uh, we didn't have the production capacity to get all the work done. So we had to start telling people no which sucked because it's like leaving money on the table. Uh, so be able to get to the point where we have enough painters and equipment and all that stuff. Um, right now I'm also thinking about, okay, where's our office going to be? You know, our lease is up, you know, in October, um, you know, and if we're going to be back here or, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at the office cause we're growing, we're going to need more room. Um, I'm looking at, okay, what properties are next? Uh, how am I raising the next round of equity? Uh, I'm starting to look at, planning and positioning myself to get in the position where we don't have to just raise money and have it be asset based, meaning I get a deal under contract and then go raise the money. How can we raise $50 million, $100 million right now today, and then put that money to work over the next year and have it be a blind pool where the investors don't see every single deal before we're investing in it, right? So I'm starting to like think ahead as always, I'm always kind of thinking ahead. So in every, any given quarter, uh, month, week day i'm always looking ahead like today i'm looking towards tomorrow this week i'm looking at next week this month i'm looking at next month this year i'm looking at next year uh this i mean this decade there's some things that we're working on and you know personally and you know, all that stuff this this decade we're focused on the next decade and we're starting to like look at 100 years out like i'm not just thinking one generation i'm thinking further out right and so um that's some of the stuff that's on my mind in q one 2021 not GameStop not uh what was the other one that went ham AMC. AMC like no I'm not hopping on the bandwagon I mean I mean you know if it was convenient and I had something accessible what I've just thrown like 50 bucks in like maybe for fun or whatever but I'm not focused on I'm not I didn't even know what happened that day until I got home that night and I read something on the Wall Street Journal um and then same thing like yesterday as, as all this stuff keeps happening I, I find out about it later because it's just like it, it, how much is it really affecting me day in and day out, right? You know, I mean, not not much at all with what I'm doing. I'm staying focused on my path, and that's what I'm focused on in Q1 of 2021. Your last question. How many minutes in are we? 40. Oh, 40. Dang, we really, really milked it. Yeah, yeah. No, you did good. This is the last question. and These were all rollover questions actually from last week because I forgot to get out um, I forgot to get on Instagram and everywhere else. I forgot to get questions and tell you guys that we're looking for more questions. So if you have more questions for next week, let us know. 
Question is tax incentives for owning multifamily properties. Uh, where do you want to start? Um, <laughs> so everyone's like, oh man, when when you plan on being debt free in, in the properties, I'm like, I will never be debt free in the properties. Uh, I'm, I, I always want to have debt. I always want to have leverage. I'm always aware, like I was talking about before, I'm always very aware of how much leverage. Um, I'm not I'm not in a position where we're over leveraged, but leverage is powerful from the standpoint of it's deductible. What does that mean? Well, the interest that you have on the property is tax deductible. So it lowers your taxable income. Uh, so that's one. Um, the next tax incentive that I would say is you have your operating income, right? So you're collecting rents, you're collecting the laundry money, you have your expenses for your utilities, your insurance, all that stuff, the repairs and maintenance, which that all lowers your taxable income, right? The write-offs, it lowers your taxable income to take care of the property. So I guess that's a benefit. Um, you pay your mortgage. And like I just said, the interest on that mortgage is a tax benefit from the standpoint of it's, it's a write-off. Then you get down th down below that and depreciation in real estate is insane. And so what depreciation is, is depreciation is not an actual tax event, but your property depreciates over time. So the government or the IRS is going to give you credit for that depreciation. And it's, it's, it's an expense that even though you don't have cash going out, it's still an expense and it lowers. Sometimes it even takes your taxable income to the negative and you don't have to pay anything for it. So now for me to get a write-off and to lower my taxable income um, when it comes to putting new lights in or you know whatever, a new door handle, I have to go buy the door handle. I have cash out of my pocket, go buy the door handle. Now it's a write-off. I get a write-off for depreciation just for owning the property. I don't have any cash go out. The cash still stays in my pocket, gets paid to our investors, but we have expense against it that lowers it that will take for the first one to three years on, a, on any given deal, depending how great of a deal it is, one to three years, the, the investors won't pay any uh, taxes today on those dollars that they're earning or getting distributed to them or that are getting distributed to them because of depreciation. So then with depreciation, you can actually depreciation. I don't even know the exact math behind it, right? I understand the concepts. The concepts is all you need to learn, I think. And some accountants on here is going to be like, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. And that's fine. I don't know what I'm talking about. You're right. Stop listening to the show then. Um, I think it's you take the purchase price. You look at the uh, – Ava could probably come in here and explain it like like that. She's listening. She's uh, uh, but you, they take the property. Uh, you look at basically the tax records of the property. You find out how much of the property is actually like what value they put on the building and what value they put on the land. You can't depreciate – you can't really depreciate the land. You can appreciate the improvements, right? So they put a value on the improvements. Uh, then you take the value of the improvements. So let's just say buy a building for ten million dollars, and let's just say the land they assessed. You know, they 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 assessed the land. Um, of the assessment, the land was maybe twenty percent, whatever of the whole thing, right? Buy a deal for ten million dollars. 20% is land, so $2 million of it is land. I can't depreciate the $2 million. The improvements on the site, I can depreciate, which would be $8 million. I can depreciate. They're going to take that $8 million. Once again, this is a ballpark number. They're going to take the $8 million. They're going to divide it by 29 or 29 and a half or 30, something like that. And whatever that number is, I don't have a calculator. Ryder's going to get out his calculator. Uh, do 8 million divided by 29.5, 29 and a half years. Eight million divided by what? Twenty nine point five. 
$271,000. So now I get $271,000 a year in depreciation. It's an expense. It shows up as an expense. I don't have $270,000 go out of my pocket for that, go out of any of our bank accounts for that, but I get to count it as an expense on the tax. So people look at Donald Trump, but he lost money. Well, if you look at my tax returns from 17, 16, 17, 18, I show a negative taxable income because of depreciation. It's not an actual cash event, but they're big. Now, here's the other thing about depreciation. So that's another benefit. You can do something called uh, cost segregation, which is a study, and it puts a value on the cabinets. It puts a value on the carpet. It puts a value on the door handles. It puts a value and account on how many light fixtures there are, how many square feet of blacktop. And then what happens is all of those, all of those uh, items have a different expected lifespan. And once again, I don't know that I'm correct on this, but I believe cabinets is either five or seven years. So the total value they come up with cabinets, they'll actually, instead of dividing that over 29 and a half years, they'll divide it over five or seven years. Well, now since they're dividing it with a smaller number by a smaller number, right? The amount you're going to get to depreciate each year is greater. So now let's just take the $8 million and just for easy math, let's divide it not by 29.5, but let's divide it by an easy number of 10. Well, 8 million divided by 10 is now 800,000. I get to depreciate. If I do a cost segregation, accelerate the depreciation, I can write off $800,000 versus the $270,000 before. So when you do that with one property, I don't do that. Now there's recapture that you, you it comes to bite you in the butt at some point because when you go to sell the property, there's recapture tax and all this stuff. But if you do that on a third of your properties, which is about what we do, we'll do it on about a third of our properties. Um, it's insane what it'll do to your. It can take it can take your earned income from five hundred thousand to if you're a. It could take your my earned income from five hundred thousand to a negative one point three million real fast. But here's the thing: you got to be full time real estate because if you're not full time real estate, your passive losses will not offset your um, your W two wages, your salaries. It'll only offset other passive income, which still comes in handy because on that deal you won't have to. If you have law, excess losses, passive losses in any given year, and not enough income to offset it, those losses will roll forward. So let's say, Ryder, you're not full time real estate per se. But or have a full-time real estate business, or whatever. But you have losses in this property that you're buying, and um, they're significant losses. They could roll forward for a few years. So, like then to the next time that you actually start to do show a profit, which the deal you're doing might show a profit day one. Yeah. But but um, even when you consider the depreciation and interest and other benefits and stuff like that. Actually, within the first six days, I'll have like eleven thousand from the property because of the prorated from the last month and the security deposit, and then after the security. Yeah, deposit, but wait till wait till you f have to fix six things that break right, in the first month. Right, right. Are you telling me that's gonna happen, dude? Six different things. Everything that will go wrong can go wrong. Everything Three that appliances. you think is gonna cost a dollar, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything that you think is gonna cost a dollar is gonna cost ten. Anything that you think is gonna take two weeks will take six weeks. Or, or six months. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's part of the it's a part of the thing. Maybe not at seven units because it's enough for like one per like things always happen for us faster when it was just four units because I did everything and that's not a way to live because it sucked it was stupid. But everything happened like you know and not, I'm not saying we're inefficient in what we're doing now. But as you grow, as you expand, 
which we've which we've done there's certain things that just just take longer that's why having a huge government sucks because it takes forever to get through all the layers so what do you think um oh here we go okay i got some instagram questions let me just scroll through the live really quick because there were some instagram questions that came through we've got uh let me see here hold on oh jeez slipping <laughs> someone out here said made like 40k off what is doge coin yeah what's that it, it, it's a cryptocurrency altcoin that pumped 500% last night and they bought it. I put $70. You bought some? I bought $70 and it turned to like 350 Cool. That's awesome. I mean, I... So this dude said he made 40 k off do, dog? Doge Dogecoin? Dogecoin. Dogecoin. I, I've seen it. I just don't know how to pronounce it. It's a meme coin. It has no real meaning behind it, which is why... It's crazy. So this guy said, I made 40 k off Dogecoin. What kind of property should I get in? 40 k Yeah, that's what he said. I believe it. So, uh... Yeah. So, um... What I would do if I were you, number one... This is to answer your question. If you made 40k off Dogecoin, doesn't mean that you are you know all. Um, so what I would do first off is make sure that you know what you're getting into in real estate. So you got to do number one is go learn, right? And now maybe you've already got that. So maybe I'm not saying you don't, but you have to learn. You got to know what you're doing because the last thing you want to do is after getting lucky off Dogecoin is go is go throw 40k into something that you absolutely have no idea. Dogecoin is just a funny word. But uh, you is go throw that 40k into something that you have no idea, and now you just Dogecoin the wrong way, and you lose it all, right? So you got lucky on Dogecoin. Go learn and make sure you know what you're doing. You're better off. You're better off keeping that 40k in a bank account, and do not buy any new shoes. Do not buy a new car. Do not go buy a house, and then spend a year and a half learning just to make sure that you know what you're doing. Get out and look at a lot of deals. I would buy. I would try to buy some type of apartment building if I were you, or that's just me. But go out and learn, and make sure you're in a position to go out and put that four decade to work in the right way. Um, and there's a lot of other things that could go into that as well, because like if you're not in a position to actually go get a loan yourself, you might need a partner. You know, whatever. I'm just getting caught up here. Ava's Ava's saying exactly and agrees with everything I'm saying wow. right now on here. This dude's from Brazil. Hello from Brazil. I know there was more questions. I'm just trying to get through all the people that joined and like thumbs up and wave at people. Uh, is, he, is the Dogecoin guy still here? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not down at the bottom. Just got here. We're still looking at expanding as long as the numbers are right, correct? I don't know what that means. Um, where was... Just so you can get an idea of how volatile this is, Justin. Is this on the screen so people so people that are they watching cannot, live can they see? see this, no. How many people are watching live? Um, six. Nice. Ty's here in chat. Ty. Who's Ty? Uh, Ty Polson. Uh, so someone asked. All right, let's get to the Dogecoin first. All We're right. looking at something on the screen right now. If you're listening along, and it's got it's. Just to show you how volatile it is, it got up to set almost eight cents. Um, it's a cryptocurrency. It has no real purpose, really. It doesn't. Um, but within minutes, drop down. So it's like Bitcoin, but it's cents. not Bitcoin because it's not actually yeah, anything an, that you can use. It's an altcoin, so you can see here. So it's like a Pokemon card. Ba basically. 
So Dogecoin is like a Pokemon card where really there's like not really any like actual but I mean but the thing is with Pokemon cards there's still value there though. So I mean really it's but that's what it is though. No, it's not an asset. I mean I mean but people can make money flipping it. It's a business. So Dogecoin went from what? How much to what? I mean it was point zero zero three of a cent. It was point zero zero three of a cent. So three one hundredths of a tenth when? Like a year ago. A year and, ago. And then earlier this week, it's seven point uh, zero zero seven, and it surged all the way to eight cents. So not even one cent to. Oh, so it went from not even one cent. Basically, fifteen or twenty x. It went from twenty x overnight. Was this like a Reddit thing as well, or Twitter yes. thing as well, yeah, where yeah. they? Yeah. It's crazy, it's man. It's a pump and dump scheme, which is why it went up to eighty cents or eight cents. There's, yeah, that's before. crazy. So There's, I don't know, it's nuts. There's gonna be a lot of people I think that get in trouble over this whole. Uh, I, I would hope so. No, no. I mean, I think, I don't know, dude. I mean, for Robinhood to automatically start selling so you could other people. Sell. You can only sell your Right. Permission. But then didn't they also just, without people's permission, just start selling their yeah, stuff? There was yeah. lots of people that people just. I mean, like, someone's got to be held accountable with that. Will they? Because I don't know, because it's probably Joe Biden that owns well, freaking no, Robinhood. No, the owner of Robinhood. It has uh, right to, to that private equity firm. Yes. Yep. Who have who have connections to the the private equity firm or the hedge fund? That so I've read I read my stuff. I know that. Do you know who Dave Portnoy is? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. He's he's been covering it really well. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you have uh, Ted Cruz and AOC agreeing on something, like you know, like someone's got to get in trouble there. I mean, geez. All right. So the question here on Instagram Live was, where did you learn to be a property manager? I learned in the trenches. I learned by doing it. I learned by lifting the weights, right? I didn't watch someone lift the weights. I went and did it. So I, in the four units that I had, in the four unit and the second four unit that I had, I was doing everything. I was doing, I was doing the leasing. I was doing the marketing. I was doing the showings. I was doing the move out, uh, the checkouts at move out. I was sending people security deposits back. I was subtracting things out of those security deposits for what they ruined. I was removing carpet. I removed all this this crap that a hoarder had in one of our apartments that was literally to the ceiling and could have been on the show of hoarders. Uh, I put down, I put down new. Uh, um, I did I did maintenance crap that I don't even know the name of, and I suck at maintenance. Can hardly change a light bulb. So I learned I learned how to be a property manager and do this by literally doing every single thing. So I at least know the process. And I'm. I suck at so much of the stuff that we do, and that's why I have other people here that are helping us because we're all good in different areas. Um, but that's how I learned the whole process. That's how I learned how to be a property manager, you know, whatever you want to call call it, was just by doing it. Like I didn't really know. I I understood. Like it, it's really not rocket science. Like collect the rent, pay the bills, pay the mortgage. Collect the rent, pay the bills, pay the mortgage. The idea is for the rents to go up. Well, what can I do for the rents to go up? Improve the apartment. So new cabinets, new carpet, new vinyl plank flooring, new paint, new trim, new doors, new windows, new HC, new new water heaters, right? How do I how do I lower expenses? Okay, well, high efficiency toilets, uh, you know, high efficiency common area lighting, right? Well, how do I keep the you know how do I keep the rent coming in? Well, keep your apartments full. Take care of them. You know, take care of your customers. Take care. So it's just, it's not like you just start asking yourself these questions and most of it is like common sense. Like that's why most of the world's millionaires are through real estate. Cause it's like, I'm no way in hell I could do create Tesla, like a car. I'm just not, I mean, I probably could do it. 
it, I don't know that too many people would buy it and stuff. We could probably figure it out, but like, I mean, probably figure it out. It's that's like 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 SpaceX. SpaceX is rocket science, yeah. like literally. Oh, yeah. Real estate is not rocket science. Like a painting business is not rocket science. SpaceX is rocket science, right? Tesla is almost rocket science. Boring tunnels is like something that I probably will never do. Could you speak on the difference between repairs and improvements? Because I was reading a book last night and it was mentioning the difference between the two and that you should always label something a repair yeah. if you can. And it does well, so because, no, well, you could capitalize it, right? But that means you're going to pay more tax. You could still write it off. The, the the reason that you want to know the difference is because you want to you don't want to put like an improvement like an improvement would be if you go in and you're putting in all new carpet right all new flooring throughout a unit that's like that's an improvement and and technically like you don't want that to be in your repairs and maintenance repairs and maintenance is just like if there's a leaky sink and you got you got to fix it there's an element that's broken in an oven and you're gonna fix that element, you're not gonna get a new oven, right? It might be $100 to fix that element or $30 to fix that element, whatever, right? Um, you want That'll be repairs and maintenance. The larger improvements, it's more of optional, right? Because like you don't have to, if the, if the element was broken and the appliance was four years old, some people might put a new appliance in, some people might just repairs and maintenance it. So it's important to separate out what's almost more optional and what's adding value to the asset and allowing you to, you know, really, things that add value to the asset really allow you to pump up the rents. You want those things to be separate because you don't want them to drag down your net operating income. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, a financial, it's a, it's a financial accounting game. Because if, it, if, if you're always putting all of that in the expenses, you're going to show a really crappy NOI and it's not, it really shouldn't be there because it's, it's really more of an investment. It's going to last like a new fridge will last seven years or 10 years or 12 years. Right? So it's, it's, it's more of an investment that makes it more attractive to get you more rent. Why would you rather label it a repair though? Like what would be the because, because legitimately you can't say like changing an element is, I mean, it's not really, it's not an improvement. You're you're fixing your repairs. You're repairing the the current appliance like you have. Burn a hole in your carpet and then replace the carpet. Well, so if you just patch the hole, repairs and maintenance. If you replace the entire carpet okay. through the whole thing, or if you just replace one room, probably repairs and maintenance. If you uh, if you replace the the flooring throughout the whole apartment, it's probably you don't want the expense line. You want to keep it separate. Okay. And repair would be an expense. A repair would be an expense. Improvement. Well. Now, if it's under anything under, you know, two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars, technically you could just have it be an expense as well. Like you can still write off, like just because you call it an improvement, you can still write it off, but you, you're keeping it separate for your books. If that's over, if it's a new roof, hundred and eleven thousand dollars for a new roof or something like that, that will be uh, an improvement and that will be capitalized. You can't write that off; it's too big. What if the entire roof is just horrible? Doesn't matter. It's a it's a cap it's a capital improvement. Interesting. Which then what happens though? A capital improvement is still okay. You can't. It doesn't lower your taxable income all one hundred thousand, one hundred eleven thousand dollars like that. But it'll go. So now that starts depreciating. Right. 
right? So now you've got more basically reloaded your pre because over time depreciation will go away. So that's why like, that's another reason I'm not gonna hold something for 15 years most likely because I'll run out of depreciation on the property and I, I have to go get a new property to, there's guys that own properties in Milwaukee and Madison. This is why so many properties in Milwaukee and Madison are so closely held or don't go to the open market for sale. The, the big stuff, I'm talking about the real wealthy guys and the, the big 300 units, 500 units, some of the towers that you see in Milwaukee. Those guys, when they run out of depreciation, they know the guy that owns the neighboring tower and they literally will almost swap when they run out of depreciation. Yeah, because because now they swap, right? And now essentially they can get new depreciation and, and, and they might have to, you know, one building might be worth more than the other, whatever. So it might be one person's getting cash, one person's getting the deal, but literally, I mean, they'll, they'll and they might actually throw cash and cash, whatever, but whatever, they'll trade out like that to now reset a depreciation. So it's a different ball game, man. Um, <laughs> people on here are like, this is awesome. I shouldn't say people, one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my dad. All right, what else we got on on Instagram Live? Let me see if we got any other questions. Otherwise, we might be calling it a day. The cleaners are here. They're going to get in. Ava says, so our controller <laughs> listens while she works. She better be working because we have so much to do. Ava knows I'm joking, kind of. Uh, Ava on here says, CapEx, which is improvements, uh, increases the value of the asset, and expense is maintaining the asset. And in, and in accounting terms, an asset is a refrigerator. So if you're maintaining the current one that you have, uh, ice maker, stop making ice. You fix that, ice maker, repairs and maintenance. You get a whole new fridge, it's going to be like CapEx. Now, if once again, if the CapEx is above like $2,000 or $2,500, Ava, chime in if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're still listening. What's the amount? I don't know. You almost automatically have to capitalize it, can't write it off. I think it's $2,000 or it's $2,500. But just because you call it CapEx, like just... Like if it's an $800 fridge, you don't automatically have to capitalize it. You can still have it be an expense, but then on your books, you, you just note it so that when you're going to sell it, you know, all this stuff. So like the property right now, like right now, I actually, there's a guy off market looking at buying one of our properties. I don't, you don't want to buy it. Um, strange. I'm just kidding. Um, um, no, so it's off market. And so he came to me and he's like, hey, just can you give me the numbers, you know, whatever. Um, so I sent him the numbers. But then, so like I send him the income statement. Now that income statement, that includes repairs and maintenance. But it doesn't include the, like $5,500 that we uh, put in for new common area carpet. That actually is in the CapEx that I sent him. So, I, so you separate it out. You keep track of it separately. So now this, this, this guy, other people looking to buy buildings. Okay, wow, he's put in. $200,000 or $150,000 or $100,000 or $6 million of improvements. And then that's like, okay, but you know, and if you know what those things are, you know how many apartments there are, that should give you an idea if this has been done in the last three years or four years, it should be giving you an idea how much CapEx you'll have going for. Well, well, but so that's, yeah, but you can't just, you right, can't just, right. an element's not an improvement to a stove. So yes, you want to, because you want to show the highest NOI, right? Right. But you can't just like, a, a $30 thing is not, it's not a CapEx thing. 
Um, another question on here. How can you write off expenses and still be able to obtain a new loan? Um, because so they're looking at this question came from Instagram. So people that are watching on YouTube, I'll read it out loud for you. So you can, how can you write off expenses and still be able to obtain a loan? So this is the crazy thing. When I show a negative, it's so hard for me. You know how hard it is for me to buy a house personally? I can't like go out and buy a $200,000 house personally. Cause they're like, dude, you have no income. I have income. But the game's different, right? So in real estate and in business world, so like real estate, for example, they're going to give you a loan based on the net operating income. So you have, you have the revenue, then you have the expenses, which includes repairs and maintenance. Then you have the NOI. Then below NOI is your improvements. It's not a regular expense. So Ryder, if you go through and change out all the refrigerators day one, you won't have to do that again for seven years. The bank's not going to count that against you when it comes time to go get a new loan. They're going to say, okay, they're going to look at the top. They're going to look at the NOI. And then what they're going to do is they're going to take the NOI and basically as long as you can cover the debt payments around 1.25 to 1.3 times, right? So, so say for example that uh, you have an NOI of 75,000 and um, say that your, uh, say you have an NOI of 75,000, your debt payments that you could afford would be 50,000. 50,000, 75,000 divided by 50,000 is 1.5. That's a debt coverage ratio of 1.5. As long as that number is like 1.25, 1.3, 1.3, Three, five, the bank's going to lend you money on that. That's how you can, you can lever back up all the way, all the way back down to 1.25 debt coverage ratio if you want, but that's where you're taking on more risk after you add value. It's so like our debt coverage ratio at some of these properties we refinance are like 2.5, very little risk. So they'll lend us 400 grand all day. They, they lend us 4 million. I'm like, I don't want 4 million. I don't want to be back at a 1.25 debt coverage ratio after I added what could be what could be f- short-term fake value it's real but it's happened so quick it could go away based on macro environmental that i can't macroeconomic things that i can't control shaking his head you get it get it <laughs> you'll get it you'll get it being around here uh go for it what were you gonna say Oh, okay, that's good. That's cool, dude. If you can suck it, suck that up. You're gonna know everything real soon. Yeah, Ava said 2,500. So once it hits 2,500, you can no longer. If it's 25, if a new, a new thing is 2,506 dollars, you can't really write it off. You have to. It'll be a capex. So it goes towards basically, and then you can re, um, you can basically get more depreciation on that. So basically, take the 2501, divide it by, if it's cabinets, five, five years, right? When we talked about before, cost segregate, divide by five, $500 a year on that, you'll be able to write off for five years. I don't, I don't know all the like little tiny details. That's like why we have it. I get, I get the concepts and know how to play the game. Uh, someone asked, what do you do to celebrate a big win? We, we, uh, me and my dad, wait, is this a Packer game big win? There's just like a big win, uh, when we buy a deal, um, we opened the Pappy Van Winkle. Ryder was here for that. Yeah. Yep. So we had a little drink of $1,500 bourbon. Um, went, went out to eat. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm not very much spiked the football or like all of us around here. I think you only live around here if you can like just score a touchdown and not do much celebrating because it's on to the next thing. And that's just kind of our attitude around here. So I think we need to get better at the celebrations. I have gotten better at the celebrations actually because now at least we go out to eat. I used to just be like, all right, let's just, but over the last like year and a half, some of them have been so stressful. It's like, I need to do something to unwind a little bit. Like this last one was stressful. Um, Ryder heard some of the conversations. They have closing. It was stressful. Uh, what other questions I got here? Can they pick? Can they hear that? Um, the other question is. So the other Instagram question: How many people we have live? Yeah, my dad just said we don't celebrate success. It's true. Good stuff. We've gotten better. We've gotten better, that's for sure. 2020 was hard to sometimes have celebration. Uh, would you build apartment complexes or strictly buy existing? Bank was in here asking me about that yesterday. I, I would build. It just needs to get to a point where if I lose three million bucks, and can cover the rest of the project, and I look at it like I lost three million. So I'm not to the point yet where I'm just because that's that's. I'm doing right now what works, what I know what works, and we're starting to do them at a bigger scale and bigger level. So all day, I'd rather buy something that's already cash flow on day one versus, hey, let's make a plan for this project. Get six weeks in, you start acquiring, you start getting expenses, right? At some point, you need the construction loan. Construction starts, construction goes for whatever, nine, 12, 18 months. That whole 18 months, you gotta be making payments you got no money coming in and a lot can change. Interest rates can change. That's a floating rate while you're doing construction too. So interest rates can change. The demand for those apartments can change. The market rate rents could change. A lot can change in 18 months. And if you're, if it just happens to get finished, wrong three month window, there could be issues. And the wrong six month window could be issues. So it's like, you know, um, I like to buy stuff that's already cash flowing day one. And we can improve it. How are collections trending in today's economy? 93%, 95%, depending on the month. We work with the people that have uh, COVID issues, tenants have COVID issues. You know the ones that really have issues because they'll actually come and say, hey, here's here's the deal. And they'll come, they'll confront us. And affected by COVID, this is how can we make a payment plan? Yes, all day. We'll make a like we want to help people. We want to be able to figure that out, right? It's it's a Crazy thing that happened. But then you have the other people who can't get a hold of, fall off the face of the earth. There's $25 billion sitting out there right now for property owners to go get to help their tenants. We need one signature from the tenant. You can't get the signature from the tenant because they don't answer the door. They don't answer the call. They hide from you. They run from you. Like, dude, we're trying to get your signature so we can get you $6,000 free right now to get caught up on your rent. You know the people that are like playing the game. Um, it's unfortunate. There always happen to be the people that, you know, a little bit late. It happens like, oh, COVID. So, so collections have been overall pretty good. Because, I mean, good people are going to pay the rent. It doesn't matter that, like, COVID, like, I'm not, I'm not just going to make up an excuse of COVID if it hasn't actually affected me to not pay my rent. Good people are going to do the right thing. And then the people that choose not to do the right thing, um, I mean, they, they're going to get what's coming to them at some point. Um, but that's what I believe on our end too. Like, I think we should be working with, and, and, and property owners should be working with people who have truly been affected by it. 
if they truly lost their job, if they truly, you know, got sick and couldn't work and, you know, whatever, and they're, co- and they're coming to you and trying to figure it out with you, for sure, we'll work with that person all day. As long as it's legit. I don't want to work with liars and jag bagging you around. Crazy how many people kind of jag bag around. Um, that's how rents are trending or that's how they're going. All right. Any other questions up there? Nope. All right. Instagram. YouTube live sixth episode of the Justin Spaulding show. Thank you guys so much for joining. Go subscribe, please to the YouTube channel. Go check us out. We're on Spotify. Now you can subscribe to us there. You can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts. So if, so if it makes it easier, so you don't have to go to YouTube and play the video while you're driving through your car system, whatever, go subscribe on YouTube. Uh, oh yeah. Subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on Apple. Uh, go follow us on Instagram. If you're not already Instagram. Now I'm talking to you, looking at you in the camera right now in the face of the lens uh go follow and subscribe the youtube channel we're coming at you live every single week uh next week we will uh be rock and roll again don't know what day we kind of fly by the seat of our pants on which day because we're busy around here we got stuff going on we're running businesses um today's show we really just like walked in with one minute to spare and like all right let's roll that's how we do it here i'm not like not this not gonna go tear into some other other people giving advice out there that aren't really doing anything just acting like they're doing something or trying to do stuff. Talk to you guys later.